Hey gang, it's Harold, and here's another podcast. I'm going to use this forum to share my thoughts about the games I play and the people I meet. We'll experiment with a few things and work to find some interesting content. I look forward to your thoughts, comments, and ideas. This podcast is composed of two parts. Part one is a meeting I had in San Diego with Bruce Mansfield, designer of Coin Volume Number 9, Gandhi. Bruce was in town for a conference and picked him up at the USS Midway Museum. We drove to a local game store to play some Twilight Struggle. We'll discuss a variety of things in our small talk between cards. The sound quality on this interview with Bruce doesn't meet my normal standards, but the discussion was so good, I hate to let it go. Part 2 is a brief interview with Tank Duel designer Mike Berticelli, where we discuss the game Tank Duel as it gets ever closer to publication. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to your feedback. One of this podcast is my meeting with Bruce Mansfield. About a year ago, I got a call from coin boss Voko Runka. He said he was trying to put together a playtest of a new design. He had just received a communication from coin experimenter and designer Bruce Mansfield, and he was not only working on a game on the Indian Revolution, but he had a working model in Vassal. Bruce had surprised everyone with a well thought out and complete game. Bruce facilitates technology use in Bellingham, Washington's high schools during the day and designs by night. His innovative application of the coin system to the struggle for Indian independence through Gandhi is exceptional and his four-player model is nearing completion. He's now marching down the path toward solo bots for all four factions. Gandhi has a number of innovations within the context of the coin system, including nonviolent factions, some of them operating without resources and jail time. I picked Bruce up at the USS Midway Museum, gave him a brief tour of San Diego Harbor on our way to Eddie's Games and a little Twilight Struggle. Bruce, I am uh, about to turn in beside this nondescript building. All right. And, I think uh, I'm waving at you right now. I think. Oh, you pull up. Yeah, I see. It. Got it. Perfect. Jump in. Perfect. All right. Very good. See you in a minute. Hey, Bruce, how are you? All doing well. Thanks for coming to get me. Good to see you. Cheers. Thanks for dressing up for me. <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We gotta get across to the other side. Well, it wasn't too much of a hassle to come down. No, it wasn't. Grab me. It wasn't. It was a. Uh, it was a piece of cake. And I love the midway. It is. Uh, it's awesome. Did, how much time did you get to spend on it? Well, we were we were gonna go on it, but the time ran kind of ran short, so we just. Oh, you missed on it. Outside. Oh, yeah, no. but we'll be here for another week. So. Yeah. Well, good. A good one. Well, for the family, <laughs> depending on what they like. Yeah. My wife will tolerate it. I think my but, life will be the same. But there's a limit to how much time we can spend looking at yeah. old airplanes and, <laughs> and reading. Uh, there's a there's also a docent that I know pretty well, and he actually served and flew A4s and A6s really? off of uh, off of it during Korea and after. And, it's funny. I think I, I went on that when I was a little kid when it was in Bremerton because it used to be up in Washington. Is that right? If I remember, yeah, maybe back in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. But, uh, so so Star of India is uh, one of oh, the oldest, yeah. if not the oldest, sailing ships. Uh, an old transport vessel that was reconfigured a number of times and then restored here. Iron ship. And then up ahead, yes, and then oh. up ahead is a um, is the ship that Master Commander was filmed on. Oh, really? Yeah, also heavily modified from its current status, but it, it also sails right there. Oh, look at that. And then as we get up close, if you look down to the left, there's yeah. an old 
there's an old Soviet sub. You know, Fox Drive is that diesel? Though? It is diesel. Huh. It is diesel. We decided that we did one a, a, a Russian nuclear reactor. Then. Why not? Which is no fun, but rules is rules. <laughs> so, um, so I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get to Addie's Games. Addie's Games is in an interesting location. It's across the street from Miramar Air Base in San Diego. Marine Corps Air Station Miramar was used by both the Navy and the Marine Corps for advanced pilot training during World War II. After the war, the Navy occupied the base for over 50 years, and Miramar grew into Fighter Town, USA, home to F-14 squadrons and Top Gun, former home to Goose, Mav, and Iceman. Now, MCAS Miramar is home to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing which is the aviation element of the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. The two big carriers based in San Diego, the USS Carl Vinson and USS Theodore Roosevelt, also known as the Big Stick, park their fixed-wing aircraft at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar when they come into port. It's an awesome display of freedom when they load or unload the jets over the coast. these games. So Barrel Harbor on the left is a bar and it's a nice ad. Allows the allows people to go in and have an adult beverage if they choose. We have a Monday night group that meets here, which uh, isn't going to work this quarter for me. That's cool. Maybe your students know that you're a game designer? <clears throat> well, you know, that's the other thing is that's interesting is how Dual much life. they, yeah, they really, uh, the kids really stalk you. Uh, especially in business and especially with LinkedIn being such an important oh, part of just to see what you've done of what we use in business yeah they really could. so they know a lot and every now and then somebody will ask me about so you, you design games or so, you play games can I ask you about the victory conditions <laughs> right right <laughs> Bruce and I sit down to a game of Twilight Struggle both sharing our admiration for the greatest board game ever made this game so well conceived in every regard it's unbelievable when you shuffle, how you shuffle. But, you know, the, the, I used to think that that European strategy was one that never worked unless somebody didn't know what they were doing. And then uh, the guy just schooled me. I love that. And then when you, you got that, oh, there's more to this game than I remembered. Well, I love the subtleties. Like, Thailand's a battleground, but not Vietnam. It's just right, right. really cool. The other funny thing about it is the, um, you know, some of it is just uh, like this coup mechanic. It's interesting, but it's really ahistorical, right? It never happened as frequently as we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's an unquestioned mechanism in the game. Well, to tie it to this, I, and I love the whole Defcon suicide element to the game, which. Uh, I think was the moment my wife stopped playing this. <laughs> Is that right? When, oh, when she inadvertently... I think I did it. I, I hate to say I think I might have done it too, oh, not really knowing. Right, right, right. It's like, oh, she I think did something. Lost she thought you made some sly set of yeah. choices. That, <laughs> I don't, you know, that's the one rule I don't like. I don't like that you can do something to... Now, I, I'm okay I with it. There. I, I'm okay with, like, when it happens during headline, but sometimes it's just stupid play that makes it happen. The cards do such a good job of the narrative too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the other. That's the other thing. As I go through my exercise, <laughs> think you'll do something after Flashpoint, South China Sea. Got a few other ideas. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've got a thou I have a thousand ideas. That's part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel <laughs> that same way? Oh my god. I kind of think about. Talking to Jerry White and see if he wants to do a, um, a game on the. If you know the Ger German surface raiders of World War One and World War Two, a little bit. They're basically like freighters that were. They're basically like pirate ships. So they took freighters and had hidden guns and stuff on them, and they just go and sink Allied ships. There was one ship that was at sea for like over two years. They just lived off the captured supplies of their oh, really? their targets, and that'd be kind of a cool, solitary game.
And I love his work. I mean, he's got such great design ideas. What, so what did he design? He's done the Enemy Coast Ahead games. Okay. And he's doing this really cool game. Um, it's about signals. Uh, what's the it so, the, so the solo guy, right? The, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The solo guy. I don't know. That's how my tiny brain thinks about it. Uh, right. I'm going to do a coup in Angola. All right. So we'll roll first. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Your coup roll. Rolls. So that gives me a five there, I think. I think so. So a little bit of despair in Angola. This goes down. This goes up two. Nice. He's got a great brain for this stuff. I think he could make you know, something really interesting. Would it be a solo game? I, I thought it'd be... My idea would be solo. You could play either from the German side, solo as the British side, or two-player. Right. In fact, my first two designs were just for a board game geek design contest were based on that, that area. Oh, really? I had some fun with it. So you've got some print and play out there? Yeah. In the public domain. Yeah. I'm going to have to check those out. Uh, Raider 16 is the first one, and Raider 33 was the next game. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And no very idea. different, too. I just took the same topic, but two very different designs. Right. What was that like, putting your game out there on the print and play? It's really interesting. I, I, I know, like, for years, I oh, I should design a game, and you know, I've been playing forever, and just kind of jumped into it. Didn't know anything about anything. And uh, kind of embarrassing to look back at my first design, other stuff. I, you know, I was I was hand drawing each card, so I'd make a change and I'd have to go. And you know, now I just use uh, what Nandak or you know, like all this streamlining kind of stuff. But it was a lot of fun. I did pretty well. I think I won the best war games. Oh, really? Category for that what year? Two thousand ten or eleven. No, 2012, I think. I didn't realize it was the presence of an award winner. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty exciting. That's cool. That's awesome. So it was well-received. I think so, yeah. In fact, it was picked up by, well, White Dog Games wanted to publish it. But they were such a weird company to work for. They, they never, they, they just went black on me, uh, dark on me, basically, in the email. So I was like, okay. In fact, uh, Gandhi started as a, a board game geek solo design contest game also. Is that right? Yeah. I had no idea. You can still see some of the early, early versions of it online. They're still out there? Yeah. Is, are they on the dark web? Is that what you... Yeah, that's right. Was it a coin structure or something different? Well, my idea would be to have uh, the first solo-only coin, and it only had three factions, the revolutionaries weren't in it. Um, in fact, when I saw Falling Sky, and it's like, oh, we can make like this permanent non-player, like the Germans, that would just constantly be disrupting. Right. And then that turned into the revolutionary faction. What, how cool. My idea was, um, like, you might start as the as the Congress, and then at some point you flip, and then you have to start playing as the Raj, and then you start to start playing as Muslim League. Right. And it would kind of bounce around, and then the the game, the like the the, the bot design was designed to be really irrational. And it would try to just wreck things in India, and you had to try to keep things stable and, and together. Oh, that's interesting. And then if you weren't able to do that, then you lose the game. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm going to play De Gaulle. Yeah, you are. So you lose two in France, and I get one. The good news is that card goes away. Yes. And I'll play Norad to take France back. I couldn't quite get it working, my, my game. So I put it aside for a few months, and then Liberty Death came out. I was like, all right, coin is very flexible. Maybe I should just make it a straight coin game and see what happens. Yeah, I, you know, my contention has always been that coin's more about the system than the counterinsurgency concept. Yeah. Right? The, it's amazing. The whole idea with the, the cards that everybody can see, no dice, randomness comes from player selection. Yeah. Asymmetry, you know, all those things. I think that was the innovation. It wasn't about counterinsurgency. But, uh, and and Volko says, if you listen to the to my most excellent first podcast, Volko says, uh, he said, you know, if you if you would have introduced those ideas like a two player coin game early on to me, I would have said you don't get it. Yeah. So he said he said I was in, I was not capable of doing uh, of doing that stuff. That's funny. When I first showed Liberty or Death to Gene Billingsley at, at um, Consim World, yeah. Gene said, uh, you know, I like this, I think it'll work. Mark Herman and Volko have both said that an American Revolution coin game won't work. Really? So I said, well, that helps. All right. That makes me feel pretty good. Challenge accepted. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> All 
I played uh, this for Ops in Southeast Asia. That's hard. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Well, I know part of his thing with the four player is you don't have to worry about balance as much. Yeah, yeah exactly. The game balances itself. Nobody likes to talk about that, but the function does. You, have, you don't have to be as precise in your balancing. Right. So we have three more rounds. That's been the hardest piece. I so impressed with your your uh, relative victory points, which I did initially in the army, and just couldn't get it to work. Yeah, I you know I, I like it a lot, um, and and it's funny that you know it confounds a lot of players, which I think is okay. Yeah, and and you know I've actually toyed with uh, with Orjan. Orjan and I have traded back and forth a couple times, um, an alternative, sort of more traditional structure. Yeah. Um, but we end up with the same problem. I, my very first solution was no, what was 2v2, and that's it. So individual factions can't win. Uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of where I was when yeah. I first met Volko. And, Interesting. And, and uh, you know, I think that would have been fine, too. But I like the idea that, you know, there are degrees. Yeah. And, and it's so, you know, picking a winner at a point in time is such an artificial concept anyway. When you look at the American Revolution, the Americans won a crushing victory in the end, right? I mean, if you look 200 years back, yeah, yeah. it was a crushing victory. But I don't think it felt like it at the time. No, it's Washington. It's Mr. Retreat, right? Right, right, absolutely. That's what Scott always brings up when he, when he sees those ridiculous arguments online. I keep attacking the British and I keep losing. The right. game is broken. Like, right. <laughs> right. I'm killing a lot of British. and So uh, you're going to get Comic-Con here. One USSR influence in each of four non-US controlled countries in Eastern Europe. But I'm going to place. I'm placing. I placed two. i got one more to place. Okay. And then, and then four, you can go to four town. Ops are four total? Okay. Yes. So I have an idea that I've been for a game that I'm excited about. And I'm uh, that I've been pondering, and it's um, asymmetric faction—a factional game where you have where it's the period between 1763, which was the end of the French and Indian War in the U.S., and 1775, which was the beginning of the American Revolution. So, game plays by years. Then you have basically a, a series of acts by the British to try to first raise taxes, and then eventually just exert control over the patrons as they backed off on the taxation yeah. And it's one after the other. So you have four factions. You have the colonial governor. You have Sons of the Revolution. You have merchants in the U.S. Those are three of the factions. And the fourth is kind of King George and Parliament. <laughs> cool. And then you're in Boston. And so you start with all those players. Those are the cards. And you build a hand of those players and play them, and they can en enhance everybody's position. But everybody has a different victory condition. Okay. For example, it's for the for the Sons of Liberty. It's about rabble rousing and pumping up, you know, the mob, yeah, so to speak. Uh, and for the merchants, it's about some stability and some trade. And for the governor, it's about some some stability and some tax. And for the king, right, it, it's he wants the tax and the control. And then, you know, the, I can visualize some sub-trees, like this this whole concept of originally the, the colonies said you can't tax what we do in the colonies, but you can tax our trade. So eventually they said you can't tax our trade. Yeah. And, and it was, so there was a continuum of concepts related to taxation. There's also a continuum related to how closely related were the colonies to the British. So, you know, you're moving along those tracks as well. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, my first thought was play it that way. Now I'm starting to, tra to transfer into this environment where you have a hand of cards and then you have to decide, do I want to side with the British or do I want to side with the Patriots That'd during the game? Right. Yeah. And then all the chaos is pouring out of the random events. And it's rabble-rousing, it's building, and you're deciding which side and trying to take advantage that of it. That would be really cool. And uh, so, so you know, for the most part, you'd probably just be a merchant, maybe a politician, but a merchant yeah. for the most part. Uh, 
something where if you declare too early, it could be yeah. detrimental. Or yeah, because things could swing yeah. the other direction. Um, but if you end up, you know, if everybody else declares and you're waiting and things swing and you can get things to swing the other direction and then jump in. That you know, that, so, so it's, I, I've always admired um, Tax Porfiriana. You, you guys play that, right? I just played it uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so, so it takes so three or four plays to really kind of get it, but it's brilliant in that, in that it, the target is always changing. Yeah. And, uh, and I really admire that. Right? I admire the fact that, that, that it's not a static target that we're all after, that you can select your faction and you can select the target and change them. That's really and, interesting. And so I think it would be fun. I don't want to copy that game concept, but I like the idea of being able to select those. So I'm going to uh, do something with four. Yeah, maybe some sort of like mechanism to track who has the, or is it more Tory support or more... Right, exactly. And what's going on in the city, and can you protect yourselves, and what economic opportunities are there? You know, a lot of the trade during those early years was um, was the refined sugar cane mm -hmm. coming to the molasses, I guess, in effect, yeah. coming to Boston, and then refining it into the rum and selling it. And that was all underground, right? Oh, okay. And the British, for a long time, accepted it, didn't tax it, and then eventually wanted to get their fingers on it. And, and during that time, the British didn't really tell the patrons what to do. They didn't enforce many of these rules. Many of the tax enforcers were in London. Yes. So at some point, they moved them to the colonies. And that's part of the issue between 1763 and 1775. So, so when that happens, right, then suddenly if you're in that business, you've got a new tithe to pay. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of cool, really cool... Thing. So one, two, three. That's such a neat era, too. It is, and I've spent so much time studying it, I might as well use it, right? You know, Bruce, for every... So at the end of this year, hopefully I'll have three games published. Liberty or Death, 1777, through Decision Games and yeah. the Strategy Packets, and then at some point I'll soon after probably have uh, the uh, Flashpoint South China Sea published. But I've probably designed, outside those, 10 or 12 games. Really? That just for couldn't pass muster for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That never, I never Projects. But I think, it's, I think you, have to, um, you have to get good at it. Right? I mean, I think you have to, you have to do it, um, and it becomes a practice, right? I mean, I don't think you're good at it the first time. No, no. So maybe Volko was. It probably was. But, you know, even when you talk to Volko about uh, the Wilderness War, he said that he and his friends played kind of a, a made-up game of Wilderness War yeah. for years. It was where years he was the coming. GM. And he did work, you know, doing uh, scenario designs for this system or that system. So Right. And, and yeah. I think he used, he used that kind of simulation at work. So, you know, even, even Volko didn't come out of the... Shoot, right? With the... Yeah, and just think of all the work Mark Thurman did when he was at, was it Victory Point? Uh, what was the old game company? Yeah, agreed. If it wasn't Avon Hill, it was that other one. One from the SPI? Um, Victory Point Games? Maybe it was Victory Point, yeah. Or, no, Victory Games. The one that was it, yeah. Yeah, Victory, Victory. I listened to a great podcast with him talking about the early days, and it might be him and four guys in the office and that's what you had to work with to play test and can't imagine doing a game design in the era before internet so we add this to this shuffle and then deal alright so no scoring for a while for Europe so and Middle East so China's still out and then we'll get all the other ones I'm sure this recording isn't going to come out, but there's some good stuff here. We, we're going to have to spend some time on Skype or together when we're in. Uh, you want to interview me? That'd be awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Just get yeah. the word out for Gandhi. I would love to. You know what I'd like to play that I've heard Scott was excellent at? It's High Frontier. Oh, he'll bring it to GMT. I would love to play a game with you guys, or S Scott at least. You don't have to play with us. He would love it. 
I've heard that he's a great teacher, so I think that would be fun. And I've talked to some other guys that want to play it, but I don't I don't want to play it with them because I don't think it would be fun. <laughs> yeah, make it fun. I don't mind playing it with them, but there has to be some supervision. We had uh, O'Shane over last week, and oh, yeah? he play, we all play that. He's good fun. So you've got one card, so... I think now I'll need I'll need seven to bring me up to eight. No, I'll need I'll need eight to bring me up to nine. We're at nine, yeah. Eight, nine. He's a smart guy. The uh, I like I like to play with him. The irritating thing for me is after every conversation I have I have to commit a word to memory to uh, look up and because I don't understand <laughs> what he's talking about. Alright, Nixon plays the China card. Give me that thing, I'm sick of watching you hold it. I can't play it, but I've got it. Alright. Last card. Okay, got the, the Shaw and Orbit also. Or do I not get that because now we're both here? Or do we both get the two space? You know what else I'm going to do this year that's interesting is I'm going to uh, Gen Con. Oh, cool. Have you ever been to one of those big ones? I haven't no. either. Neither. The LA cons are the biggest I go through. They're pretty big, but they will be. Uh, that will be interesting. It should be fun. Where is that? Indianapolis. Oh wow! So lottery for hotels. Yeah. You know, it's like a massive ride. hall kind of thing, right? It, it's including. It goes into the stadium where the Colts play football. What? So it's all <laughs> over the place. Oh my god! I can't wait. What is that? Is that? First of August, <laughs> somewhere in there. Well, Bruce, have you it. played war games your whole life? I mean, since you were high school, kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah. Um, was uh, twelve? I think it was twelve when I got for Christmas Axis and Allies. Yeah. And I thought it was a big model actually, because I used to make models when I was a kid. And right. I opened it up, and it was like. Oh, this is a, a game? What, a glue these to the board? Crazy. Uh, and my brother and I, we used to play in our front lawn. Just get the neighborhood kids, and we'd probably make up half the stuff we did. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the start of it. Kind of in, in a role play in, in middle school, and then heavy war games in high school, and early college. And then kind of got out of it for a while, and then got back in, and, and it went from there. That's but, the perfect, it's one of the perfect first games, right? With the miniatures, and... Simple. Big story and everything's yeah. there. I mean, at least a World War Two. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm going to do coup in Argentina with this. So that's a minus one to the roll. Is that right? Uh, minus one to the roll. Okay, so two, five, and it's four, four five, six. So, one. Yeah. so I think you lose one, right? Uh, probably. Two, five to four. Yep. I think game design today is phenomenal. I, mean, I, I, mean, I, did, I did all the Avon Hill classics, was deep into ASL for a long time, Third Reich. My, my, my college roommate and I we used to take the, uh, the closet door off our, our closet in our apartment and lay it out so we had a huge space. So we'd play Third Reich. <laughs> so we used to, um, when we had a long weekend, we would take the mattress off of my bed. I had a queen bed, and we'd take the mattress off, and we could set up um, it's Berg's Gettysburg game, the big one. There. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I can't remember. <laughs> so we'd set that up and play, and we would never finish it. Yeah. So, but, it, you know, it was just about the Man. good times. And, uh, and then when uh, Rising Sun came out, I mounted it to a piece of sheet metal and um, magnet got like sticky magnet tape and I magneted all the counters and have like a war room set up. That was a lot of fun. Alright, so I'm going to sell you some grain. Oh. Randomly choose one card from the Soviet hand, place it or return it. Uh, if it's returned, play it as an ops normally. I think you keep your good cards right there. Ah, not bad. Take that. So I will play this. Good. But hold on to it. It's the beginning of the game. <laughs> it's a tough one. You don't want anybody to see. So I'll play this. So show me your hand, and then I get one ops. Just a threat. I mean, that huge makes sense. 
one op. Part of the fun of this podcast is I have a buddy that has an independent, an indie indie rock band here in San Diego. Oh yeah. So I called him and I said, you know, I'm, I want to use licensed music, but I don't want to pay for it because it's crazy. I mean, expensive, yeah. exorbitant. You can't. Um, but I want that feel, and I'm realizing now that even if I do it, assuming they'll never find me, that they may end up kicking it off of iTunes or something because they have those bots that listen to everything. And so. I'd like to use some of your music. And he said, look, any indie band would love for you to use their music. You just tell them, and they'll send you a letter saying you can use it. And send you the... So I've, I, I used his band's music for the first one. And, uh, and you know, it's just good garage band rock and roll. Yeah. And then uh, I sent a few emails out to some indie bands here in town. They were all over. Oh, that's I thought awesome. it was great. Yeah, so... <laughs> So now I've got, so now that'll be the other angle is uh, kind of an indie, local indie music feel to it. It's a nice, like, music, games, crossover, you'll see right <laughs> That's right. You got to do, like, uh, rock band, the game, oh, I guess that's already there. Yeah. Real time. Um, you're up, right? I think I'm up, yeah. My buddy and I have made it, one of the reasons we want to go to Gen Con is we're going to shop a game that we've designed. So what made you jump into the podcasting world? Seb. You know, um, so I'm going to take this event. It gives me two, two influence in U.S. or Central or South America. Um, it just seemed like I don't know. I, you know, I, I have a I like gadgets and technology and fiddling with stuff. And yeah, that was part of it. And then I just figure I meet so many cool people and interesting people. Why not share it, right? What's it called? Herald on Games. <laughs> You can tell I'm a marketing genius. <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt to get Voco as your first guest. No, that was, uh, that, was, that was a gift. All right, I'm going to play Summit. Yeah, you are. So we each roll a die. We're going to add one for every region we dominate or control. I roll against two victory points and can move DEFCON. But I think you might... Oh, let's see. You've got one, two, three... You've got, got China. East. You've got Middle East. I've got these three. And we're even here, right? Yeah. So, so... Plus three for you. Plus two for me. Yeah, so... Plus one in your direction. Five. That made the difference. You got it. So what do I get? Two victory points. And you can move DEFCON up or down one. Yes. What did Liberty of Death do? Did it do, hit the 5,000 mark? Or more? I think, he, I think he printed 4,000 the first time, and it sold out pretty quickly. That's so cool. And then, you know, thanks to Volko and all of his work, because nobody knew it, knew, or knew yeah. me. And then uh, they did the reprint, now they have figured we'll, we'll be there for a long time. That's so cool. It must have been just a rush when it first came out, and waiting for the first reviews and all first, that. it was horrifying. It was horrifying, because, you know, you, 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 know, you kind of control everything now. But the day after you send the last one print in, you control nothing. Yeah, I'm freaked out about so, um, it. So you're going to have to go through that mess, right? And and it and that's scary. And it's funny, you know, I mean, it's it's weird that we worry so much about something that has such little consequence. Yeah. <laughs> but you feel like it has great consequence, and it, I did. Well, all the I, effort because goes I know you it. will too, right? You take this stuff seriously. So, so that's troubling. Then you get the first copy and you kind of look through it, and then you say, "Okay, now I have to survive the gauntlet of players." Yeah. And what will they find? Because you know they'll find stuff that you missed, and whether it's typos or it's functional screw-ups or stuff that you never would have noticed, right? And so that's the next gauntlet of, of uh, activity that you you have to kind of survive. But. Um, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna do fine. It, you know, I, I think the other thing that Volko said. I, I was talking to him and Mark about Arata, and they said it happens in every game. Yeah. You know, the, the standard of expectation that there should never be Arata is a joke. Right. Plus, it's a hobby. We're all working for virtually free. Yeah. So, um, you know, don't don't hold yourself to that standard of. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard to work on something for 
Uh, I mean, well into my third year now with Gandhi. And yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what liberty that took, but I'm guessing it was quite a lot of effort. Yeah, it did. You know, I mean, it was it's this, you know, roughly the same period of time. And I explain to folks there aren't gamers. It's like writing a book. It's that level of. Well, I, I, I'm sure I, I've told you this at one point, but there are 50,000 words of prose inside the box in Liberty and Death. So, it's a novel, right? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I was overwhelmed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm used to taking risks and making bets and moving on from them. That's kind of what I, you know, historically have always yeah. done for a living. So that, it's weird that this event is so stressful <laughs> to me. But, you know, you also realize that if you do good, you'll get a ticket to do more, right? And if you don't do good, you know, is it, I mean, is it the standing in the hobby that we worry about? Sure. Totally, is, right? Isn't that funny? Status. I'm lucky to work with GMT. I remember Gene saying, like, I'm really excited to see Gandhi. I'm especially excited to see your next game. I thought, cool, okay. That's the right way to do it. You have more time? Want to play something else? Or? I have plenty of time. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I guess we could have played that again if we wanted to. Uh, we, we can uh, toy around with uh, South China Sea. I can show you that. How I like works. to see that, yeah. Part two of this podcast is an interview with designer Mike Berticelli. About two years ago, Mike and I met at a Strategicon game convention in Los Angeles. We had just finished the design of Liberty or Death, the American Insurrection. Mike had been the coin series developer and I had been a young man with a dream. At Strategicon, I shared a prototype with him. It was a tank game where fire combat is executed in a detailed fashion and movement and maneuver is highly abstracted. It was a beautiful combination of Tobruk, Upfront, and World of Tanks. We agreed to work together on it and spend a lot of time in the next six months. After that, as is often the case for me, my brain moved on to another model of tank combat and I was ready to leave Tank Duel behind. Mike loved Tank Duel as much as the first day he saw it, so I turned it over to him to let my imagination flow down another path. Mike's a gamer's gamer and brings that sensibility to Tank Duel. It's great fun to play and improves every time I play it. It'll be a huge hit thanks to Mike's love for the system and his love for tank combat. I call Mike to see how the game's coming along. Tank Duel's coming along really well right now. We are hitting on all cylinders we've been having a lot of play testing we are on our second version of the rules which is exciting so they're almost complete uh the actual design of the game is done it's just that you know it's that whole thing about you know getting the rules right so supposedly i have a fourth quarter production slot so it looks like we are probably online to make that. I'm hoping everything goes through if I don't get, you know, um, held up on the GMT side with some of the stuff that they're doing uh, for us. If that all goes smooth, we should be able to make it by the end of the year. That's terrific. It, uh, it'll be great to see it in produced form. Now, uh, I understand that our buddy Terry Leeds is working on the graphics for the game. He, he is, which is a blessing because the guy is so t- talented. I'm starting to get the um, first, you know, renditions of the of the final art, and it's amazing. He's done he's done the tank boards, and I've pretty much checked off on those. They're outstanding. Basically, he just has to plug in the different types of tanks, but the layout and the way it's going to look is is right on point. Same with the cards; they look terrific fronts and backs you know it's just finalizing all the text and stuff and he's given me some um some uh counter art already and i'm, I'm kind of a funny guy i'm a little bit a stickler on art and i i like really nice counters 
And you don't always find that with, you know, some of these game companies. So I told Terry I didn't want any, you know, cheesy looking clip art stuff. I mean, I want some, and boy, he's come back with some amazing counters. That's great. You gotta love it when the uh, artist has an impact on the quality of the counters. But you know, I got I got lucky too because he's played the game. He was at GMT West last time, and so he got a good feel for it, and he likes it, which helps. So he's excited to do the art, which I think helps a lot. That's a gift. I think that's the exception rather than the rule. You know, everybody works on contract and is spread around the world, so it's uh, very rare that that a that the graphics artist gets to play or, or, or actually is willing to spend the time. Right. I think that's a, yeah. that's a rarity as well. So, so, but boy, I tell you what, it makes a huge difference. You shared some of the, uh, some of the tank art with me early on and I thought it was fantastic. The, uh, the, the tanks look used, right? It's, it's, they, yeah. <laughs> they look, they look like they've been used, not that they're perfectly just painted from yeah. the factory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and every tank's going to have its own, you know, paint scheme. So, you know, oh, I want that tiger tank with that look. And so that's going to be pretty neat, I think. Yeah, agreed. Now, he's also doing the cards, which I think will yield some interesting graphics. He's done a great job on the cards. You know, we had this vision that, you know, uh, one of my two developers, you have uh, Joe and Jason, um, Joe Aguayo and Jason Carr, which are both doing a great job. Joe and I were talking about a vision of looking out, you know, a tank slit to look at the terrain and without even telling Terry, he did that on his own, thinking the exact same thing that we were trying to envision. And I mean, he pulled it off perfectly. You have a solo uh, functionality for this game as well, right? We do. We do. We're doing something um, a little different than most solo games, I think. Um, you know, we call it uh, the, the AI. Uh, um, I want to make, get, make sure I have this right. Jason is he's doing a lot of work on the solo. It's called Robata right. is the uh, is the solo opponent. And we're trying not to change the way that the game plays by, you know, throwing, making the AI play completely different. So we're using the same cards that we use as a single, as a, as a human player, but they use them differently. So they don't, Tank Duels uh, is a is a game which you have a hand of cards that you play to do things, to move, to shoot, to spot, to, to whatever you want to do on the battlefield. Um, the AI opponent will use those cards, but he won't have a hand. He'll pull up a few cards at different points during his turn, and different parts of the card will apply to what he'll do. And he's got a kind of a hierarchy of what's important. Like, if, is he in peril? Is he is he in big trouble? Then he's going to react and try to get out of that. If he's got a great shot and he's not in big trouble, he'll kind of lean to do something in that direction. But nothing's guaranteed. There's always a chance he might do something a little crazy, which is good because you don't want it to be, you know, you don't want to know what's going on. Too predictable. Right. That keeps it exciting too, you know. So, and, and it's going really well. We at the last uh, might have been last one of the time before at GMT West. We called for a volunteer. You know, after Gene does his speech on Saturdays, we made announcement that we were going to run the bot. If somebody would like to play against it, and we had a volunteer come up. So um, he played against the bot and got his rear end kicked. Mike, all that's great to hear. I, um, the, the, I'm excited about the component list. You've got the, the cards that, that run the game, and then you've got a series of cards that are damage cards. How many cards are you going to have in this in the end? Well, I, I can have um, up to 220 cards is what I am. Is what you've priced into this so far? Yeah, exactly. So, and then some of those are, we have special scenario cards. So what we can do, so it's all abstract. The game is abstract, um, a lot like up front, where, you know, the tanks don't actually move on the battlefield. 
they uh, but you play movement cards and and you close range or you or you widen the range you move into terrain and so it's all theater of the mind well on some of these terrain cards where they're just one-sided i can put a different type of terrain on the back side of that card so they'll be actually more than 220 in the in the deck of the you know for the whole game the 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 deck that runs the game is a hundred cards and you can manipulate that deck. So you can have a deck that's got full of uh, good terrain. So there's a lot of places, you know, to get concealment and hide and help protect you from shots. Or you can sub those out, get those out and put in alternate cards with more open fields and brush. So it's more of a wide open killing game. You can kind of play it the way you want. And then I've got like a city deck where you take all of those terrain cards out and put a whole city deck in there. And now just recently we're adding some historical scenarios. So we've got some really cool stuff that's going to happen with some deep mud effects that (laughs) tanks are going to get mired in and it's going to be a real pain in the you know what. That's great. You know, I think it's going to be a great sandbox for players to, to generate their own scenarios. Uh, That's what I'm hoping for. So, Mike, let me ask you some some goofy questions, kind of off the topic of Tank Duel. Uh, sure. Before we close, just to just because I want to know what you've been doing, but uh, uh, what about a movie that you've uh, you've enjoyed recently? You know what? I haven't seen a movie, and I cannot remember. I'm more of a TV series guy, but. Um, I'll give you my favorite movie. Yep. Would probably be uh, The Godfather. Yep. I love The Godfather. And then, uh, you know, um, Saving Private Ryan. I think I saw it three times on the opening day. <laughs> you just didn't <laughs> yeah. leave. Yeah. You know, I didn't. It was crazy. I We went to it. I watched it on the opening day. Was so moved by it. Stayed there, watched it a second time. Went home. My friends said they were going to go that night, and I said, "Well, all right, count me in." That's great. That's terrific. I loved it. Loved it at the time. Well, then, what about TV? Tell me about. uh, I'm I'm a big TV guy. Love series, right? Like The Pacific and Band of Brothers, HBO. Love those. Um, I'm a big FX guy. Sons of Anarchy. Um, the Shield. Right now, I, for the second time, I'm watching Marco Polo, which is uh, Netflix, and it's on the Mongolian, you know, right. um, history. It's really with with Kublai Khan and his story. Um, really good show. But yeah, anything with you know sex and violence and bad language, I'm all over it. Right, right. <laughs> so, what about something you've read recently that you like? Well, I haven't done a lot of reading because I've been really busy, right, with doing tanks and stuff. I think the last one was four tanks. It was probably Tiger Ace, which is, uh, you know, Michael Whitman's story. Yeah. And then what do you listen to music-wise when you're in your truck? Well, you know what? I'm a big blues guy and rockabilly, Brian Setzer and Rod Piaz and the Mighty Flyers, Tommy Castro Band, just a lot of that stuff. the Mavericks, the derailers, that kind of stuff, yeah. That's but I listen, to, I listen to everything pretty much. So tell me what you're playing. What have you? I know that I know how hard it is to play something else when you're designing, but uh, I'm sure you've gotten into a game or two outside. Yeah, you know what? I've been playing a lot of Phil Eklund stuff right now. High Frontier, played a few games of that, and then you know our friend, you know Jordan and um, Alan. We've been playing um, BIOS Genesis. Yes. And we've also been playing um, Bios uh, Megafauna. And those games are... uh, Bios Megafauna is really fun. Genesis was okay. I liked it, but it didn't leave me just dying to play it again. But Megafauna kind of has 
uh, but it's a bit of yeah, my brain hurts. We played it for like you know three hours, and my brain was about melted because his games are very involved. You know, it's really it's it's dominant species on super steroids. That's great. Well, if it uh, if it burns, you know it's working. I guess so. So, Mike, thanks for taking the time. It was good talking to you, and I look forward to seeing you at GMT West. Looking forward. I'm looking forward to playing your game that you're working on right now, too. Ah, well, it'll it'll be there. I hope to see I it. I know it. Thanks, awesome. Mike. You're welcome. Talkie operator, machine gunner, Tiger Joe, rugged, powerful, ready for battle. You command Tiger Joe with remote control. Stop. Back. You breach load Tiger Joe and fire. Battery-powered, the biggest tank of all, Tiger Joe, sold at food markets only. So that's a wrap for this podcast. I'll publish some notes and references on my website, conflictsimulations.com. Thanks to the Raleigh, North Carolina-based band Funk Upon Ya for an intro and outro music. Check them out at funkuponya.com. Also thanks to the Orange County, California-based band, the Rayford Brothers, for a touch of rockabilly. Check them out at therayfordbros.com. And thanks to a pair of F-A-18F Super Hornets, assigned to the Fighting Redcocks of Strike Fighter Attack Squadron, VFA-22, flying off the aircraft carrier USS Teddy Roosevelt, CVN number 71. Thanks to all of you for your service. Do me a favor, sharing the podcast with a few friends, that'll help get the word out. Leave me comments on Board Game Geek with your thoughts and ideas. And I'll close with a special thanks to Bruce Mansfield and Mike Berticelli. And that's it for me. As always, I breach load Tiger Joe and fire. And I'll be back soon.